the Food Institute podcast. This week, Plant-Based Business Hour podcast host Elizabeth Alfano joins us, and she's also CEO of VegTech Invest, which advises EatV, a new ETF that in part focuses on plant-based food products. But before we get started, I did want to take a moment to plug our plant-based insider newsletter. The newsletter releases midday on Tuesdays every week and really focuses on plant-based companies, trends, and other issues that are affecting the industry. You can follow a link in the description of this episode to sign up for that newsletter. So with that said, we welcome Elizabeth Alfano to the show, and I'll start off by asking her how she's doing today. So how are you today, Elizabeth? Hi, everybody. Great to be here. I'm doing great. We have a huge party going on tonight at the New York Stock Exchange, so I'm on cloud nine. That's definitely a good thing to celebrate. Um, for our audience that may not be familiar with you, Elizabeth, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and EatV and all the other projects you're really involved with? Sure, sure. Uh, recently, about six months ago, I well, about a year ago, I started a company with Dr. Sasha Goodman, and that company is VegTech Invest. And through VegTech Invest, we have launched and VegTech advises the world's first plant-based ETF. A lot of people might wonder, well, what the heck is an ETF? So it functions like a stock on the exchanges on the in the public markets. You can buy it as an individual ticker, ours is EV, and you trade it like you would a stock and it, it um, updates automatically quickly like it would a stock. Uh, but it's not one stock. It's a basket in our case of 42 companies. And again, for us, up and down the supply chain, those companies innovating with plants and plant-derived ingredients to create animal-free products for sustainable consumption, which includes addressing climate change and food insecurity. So we are the first to tackle these subjects through innovation, the first plant-based ETF in the world. And you know, that's why we're having a party tonight. Well, like I said, congratulations. I know it's going to be a big day for you. Uh, I wanted to ask a little bit, you know, launching an ETF in a bear market can be challenging. So I was wondering what the process has been like for you. Have you found it to be very challenging with the current conditions or is this something you planned years ago and are kind of getting to the point and just meeting that market? What has that process been like for you? Well, for sure, I didn't see years ago that we would be here today. I knew we'd be here with plant-based demand um, for products as well as for you know, products on the grocery store shelf, as well as for financial products. Uh, but I didn't exactly uh, time to launch right during this market. That said, I'll say that when you are first, like we are, it's not just that you launch with a product like our Eat V. It's also that in launching Eat V, we have launched a completely new impact asset class, plant-based innovation and alternative protein. And that didn't exist before. So analysts were thinking like, okay, well, there's Beyond Meat out there. There's Oatly. There's a couple of stocks. That does not an investable sector make. So this is really helping to in bringing the product forth, Eat V, but then also you know, launching this entire sector that is now investable, just like alternative energy is an investable sector. We're seeing a lot of folks on Wall Street wrap their minds around this. So we're just focused on getting our messaging out first about what the sector is and then what about our product is. So in a way, I don't want to say this bear market doesn't matter. Of course it does. And I, you know, I wish it were different times, but um, we're just focused on getting the word out and establishing the sector. So that sort of is, is market neutral, if you will. And then we, you know, whenever you launch something new, you're always tweaking it right in the beginning. So we just feel like, oh my gosh, when the markets do take off, we are so ready. We will have established the sector. Our product is creating great press. I was just on Bloomberg yesterday uh, in on um, ETFIQ. So, you know, we're getting great press and we're really branding ourselves. So when the market takes off, we are ready. 
That's very interesting. You know, I like the positivity. I really do. I think that's very important for, you know, launching anything, right? But I'm wondering what are some of the personal reasons that caused you to help form this ETF? And, you know, as a, you know, aside, you know, I became a vegetarian this year. So I definitely think that, you know, there's a lot of demand growing in this sector. So I'm wondering, are you finding that strong demand from consumers as part of the reason? Do you find it to be more of a, you know, mission driven kind of company? What's the the real foundational like building block in your mind for for creating this you know new ETF okay so it is personally meaningful to me uh, that and that's kind of a long story that aside it was obvious to me as you know an expert in the plant-based sector I didn't say it in the beginning but I have a plant-powered consulting business and I'm the host of the plant-based business hour so we are podcast fellows if you will um, so I I know as an expert deeply ingrained in the sector that it's going to, according to Bloomberg, 166 billion from approximately 30 billion now today by 2031. I mean, I know the growth that's coming and I know that I see consumer demand rise. I see more flexitarians, people who are saying, I'm going to cut back on the meat. I'm going to throw in the vegetables and I'm going to work in those meat alternatives just to kind of lighten the load on the planet and also for my health. So as planetary health and as personal health become real markers in a time of the empowered consumer, when the consumer cares about their health after COVID, reads that label, knows more about their own health than they ever did before. They used to kind of shop that out to, hey, Nestle, hey, Kraft, tell me what to eat and I'll do it. They don't do that anymore. They are informed and they vote with their dollars for their health and now for planetary health as well. Um, and, and ultimately that leads to a food insecurity as well. And I'll, I'll talk to about that in a minute, but for planetary health and personal health, those are right there on the high demand map, if you will. So I see consumer adoption of the products becoming more prolific and that curve becoming more um, enriched, if you will. And so where is the financial product that would reflect that this sector is paralleling the alternative energy sector? So this natural sector that people switch to for these reasons that just make sense for them and the planet. Um, ultimately, it's a more efficient business system to have plant-based foods. We can talk about that in a second. So I just knew it was coming and I expected to see an ETF for myself. I've been investing for my family, investing, you know, professionally on venture and on the public markets and the product never came. And so like any entrepreneur, I was very frustrated because I myself wanted to invest in a one-stop shop, easy, you know, that's what ETFs are. They're just so easy. You get in, you get out, it's super, you know, liquid. I couldn't find it. So I thought, well, if no one else is going to do it, maybe they just don't understand the sector like I do and I better do it. So yeah, I'd like to talk a little bit about the ETF. What kind of companies are you currently investing in? And um, we could keep this food space, you know, food space specific. But what companies is your ETF investing in currently? Yeah, so a lot of people ask that. They say, "Well, I do see that there's Oatly and Beyond Meat, but what else would be in there?" So we take a step back. We look at the companies around the globe, up and down the supply chain. So who is innovating to make great plant-based products, even from the very beginning? So we're looking at ag tech, like um, even fertilizers, greenhouses, vertical farms. Then our next silo is those innovation and technology companies focusing on the research and licensing it out, like Ginkgo Bioworks and Amaris and Meat Tech 3D out of Israel. Then we focus on the ingredient companies, really looking for novel proteins because we just can't keep 
making everything out of soy and corn, you know, and if you're going to have more plant-based products and more plant-based ingredients. So those working with fava bean, chickpea, you know, like in ingredient, barley with MGP ingredients, Burkhan Nutriscience. Then our next silo is those companies working on flavor and texture, like the multinational company Givaudan of Switzerland. And then finally, at the end of the, the road, we get to the CPG products like Vitasoy out of Hong Kong, Beyond Meat, Oatly, et cetera. And I know you also do some work with other types of companies too, like cosmetics, right? Can you talk about that a little bit as well, how this is kind of a dual channel um, investment tool? Sure thing. So we are primarily food, but the title of our ETF, EV, is VegTech Plant-Based Innovation and Climate ETF. So we're really focused on those companies innovating to replace animals for efficiency and planetary and personal health reasons in food and materials. So when there's innovations happening, let's say in elf beauty products, elf cosmetics, they're innovating to replace animal oils from makeup and really focus on plant oils. We see that as innovative. We see that as better for the planet. We see that as what consumers want. Who wants animal oils on your face? So, you know, the they are in there as well. Yes. Yeah. And I know this, this question might be a little bit harder to work through, but I just think in 2020, we saw a meteoric rise for plant-based alternatives. You know, a lot of people called it the 20 year success story, but you take a look now and you see some, you know, fairly large declines for public companies like Beyond Meat and Oatly. So I'm wondering what gives you confidence? What makes you feel, you know, confident about the future when you see those kinds of drops? Do you see rising consumer demand? Personally, I feel like we're in a little bit of a lull right now after that explosive growth, and we're going to see new entrants kind of come onto the scene. But I'm wondering, what do you see? What's giving you confidence to continue working on this ETF when you do see some kinds of, you know, pretty significant declines for some of the major public plant-based companies? A hundred percent. So one company does not a sector make. And if Beyond Meat is having trouble, and we can talk about Beyond Meat, if you will, why I believe that they're going to be stronger in the future. Um, they've made a lot of capital investments in China and Holland, and that's going to start paying off on the balance sheet. Hasn't yet because it's been money out and not money in yet, but they're laying that foundation for um, sales growth later. And they're excellent at branding, as you know, having these wonderful partnerships with Pizza Hut and um, you know, KFC and, and onwards. So I, I have a, a lot of faith there. But um, what I see is consumers want something better. The planet is demanding we have something better. And industry, that's the big key industry wants something better. So it isn't just that animal agriculture produces 14.5% of the world's greenhouse gases, according to the United Nations, and we need to get down our greenhouse gas emissions footprint. Um, I think you're going to see a carbon tax. This is going to, again, that educated consumer, they're going to start switching over to better products for the planet. It's also that um, animal agriculture is the leading cause of deforestation. So when you look at how we grow food to feed a growing planet, going from 7.7 .7 billion to 9.8 billion by 2050, according to the United Nations, you realize you don't have enough land and a, you don't have enough water to keep using it so efficiently on a system that it is just, you know, let me say this. It takes seven to nine calories of grain or crops that we feed, that we grow to feed to a chicken to get one calorie of chicken. So they're very inefficient calorie converters, which means you have to cut down more trees, grow more crops. These crops that have fiber and protein, are you giving them to people? We're worried about food security. Are you feeding food to people? No, you're feeding food to food. 
And then you're cutting down more trees, still feeding them more food. They need land, water, time, land, water, time. By the time you actually get your calories, you've got one calorie for every seven to nine um, grain, every calories of grain that you grew for them. So very inefficient. Business doesn't want that. That's just not good for the bottom line. And when you have more efficient technology, so as we see technology ramp up and the costs come down, you see more consumer adoption fold in. Cons large industry like Kellogg's, we can talk about that. That was big news yesterday. Like Kellogg's and other companies saying, hey, we want a better option for the planet. We're, we're starting to be held accountable for the environment. We're starting to be held accountable for our water use. We're starting to be held accountable for all the manure that we put into the ground and our clean water. These are big financial risks to these companies. So if it were the 70s and it were just the consumers that wanted the plant-based options, I would say, oh, that's gonna be tricky, but it's not. It's the consumer and industry. They both want the same thing. So now you've got critical mass moving towards shifting the global food supply system. And you're gonna to shift towards the most efficient business model and that's plant-based. Well, that's why I believe in it. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see too amid this inflationary environment where consumers kind of turn for protein. My guess is that we'll see them trade down. We'll, we'll put that in quotation marks, trade down from higher priced meat products, maybe into plant-based just because there could be a price uh, differential there. I would imagine that we could see that happening too as being one of the big things that kind of spurs more people into, into this category. Um, I do want to bring up, so one of the things we've really seen at the Food Institute over the last two years is really, like I said before, that meteoric rise, but then we saw a bunch of new brands kind of pop out. And I think we're starting to see that with some of the, you know, declining value of beyond meat stocks, et cetera. I think part of that reason is that consumers have more choice now than they had before. And this includes products coming from major meat packers. You know, we did a podcast with Ozo recently, but you also see players like um, Notco coming in with a variety of different products from chicken to milk. So you're really seeing a lot of new products. So I guess in your view, do you see that market continuing to expand or do you see them beginning to contract towards fewer but leaner operations as they kind of come back together and form maybe, you know, a company that doesn't just focus on one type of product? How do you see this market playing out over the next couple of years? Yeah, I see in the short term consolidation, I think there are a lot of products that went to market because there was a lot of venture capital out there. They could get money really easily. So, hey, why the heck not? Maybe they weren't ready for prime time. So I do think you're going to see some of the companies fall away. You are going to see some consolidation, either companies band together or companies are acquired while they're still acquirable. You know, the higher your valuation Unless you're making money, you can't really be acquired because you have negative EBITDA on someone's balance sheet. So, you know, very, very hard for something like Impossible Foods, which has an enormous valuation and not close to making money to be acquired by a company. So you got to kind of be in that sweet spot of being small, but having good R&D or something Um some IP that's that's yours that's worth acquiring. Um, so I do think you'll see some some acquiring, some people fall off, some companies kind of banding together. But mostly, what you'll see is more innovation. You'll see more technology come to the forefront. I expect a lot out of fermented proteins, either biomass fermentation or precision fermentation. So I think that fermentation space, the knowledge we have from the pharma industry and even the brewing industry, um, is really going to proliferate into food. And then ultimately, you're going to see cultivated meat hit the market. Market. For the plant-based products, you're 100% right. There's more of them. So there's more competition for, for things like Beyond Meat. But there's also the heyday of like, oh, wow, 
wow, this is a sweet thing. I think we'll let it into our grocery store without a slotting fee and just see what happens. Those days are over. You are paying big time as if you were JBS getting in there with Ozo. So, you know, these this cost structure has changed. So it's a little bit of a shakeout. And also sort of to your previous question, who could keep up the growth of 2020? It was like almost 40% is meteoric, as you said. So I think it's only natural, you know, compared to 2020, of course, it looks low, but the growth is still there. So if you compare to 2019, you still have seven, eight percent, seven percent growth um, from 2020 to 2021. It was still seven percent growth, grew three times faster than the overall food market, according to the Plant Based Foods Association. It just looks bad compared to 2020, but it's still good growth for a category and it's still beating the regular food sector. So I see continued growth. I see continued innovation. I do see consolidation and I see industry putting more and more money towards R&D and advertising which means more consumer adoption. And I think you hit the dynamic on the head right there. It's, you know, really comparing it to a, an uncomparable year, right? Seeing right. that massive rise, but yeah, seeing that 7% increase, you know, definitely outpaces a lot of other parts of the food industry. I would like to dive a little bit more into the innovation side, you know, from your vantage point, what product categories do you think are primed for plant-based disruption at this point? Well, I think, meat is prime for plant-based disruption. I mean, I, it's such an inefficient system. We talked about it briefly, how it's wasteful in our resources and how, I know this is tricky to wrap your mind around, but an inefficient food system is the reason for food insecurity. We have enough land and water on the planet. We actually create enough food to feed the world now. It's just, we don't give our food to people. We give it to animals. And then we don't get back as much as we put in. So we're wasting everything. So I, I think the real disruption happens in the global food supply system. For It's just not going to be inefficient. I wanted to say it's not going to be animal-based reliant, um, but I'm trying to get that animal word out of there. So I just want to say it's not going to be so inefficiently reliant um, as it has been in the past. And and I think that's already starting to play out just in terms of inflation. You see meat uh, going up. I think it's 14 point, I want to say 14.3, could be 14.8% and vegetables up like 7.9% in these inflationary times. And ultimately we do see plant-based innovation as deflationary again, because you're better with your resources. So your cost of goods sold is less. I've gotten gone down the rabbit hole, but only to say, um, I think the disruption happens in the entire global food supply system. Just like you no longer use a landline and you no longer use a typewriter no one's going to make you give up meat. They're just going to give you a better option, which is ultimately going to be less expensive in the long run. And that's just what the people are naturally going to pick, just like you naturally pick an iPhone now and, and not a cord, corded phone. So, um, but uh, for, for specific um, innovation, I think what you're going to see like really novel come down the pipeline pretty soon is those hybrid plant-based products where it's cultivated fat so it really is the fat from animals, but cultivated in a controlled situation, otherwise known as a lab, but I hate that word. So in a controlled situation with plant-based products. So you get some of that health benefit, but you're really getting all that taste. And when you nail that taste and price, you're there. Yeah, that's very interesting. You know, from your vantage point, do you think an ethical vegan, do you think that they would be open to having a cultured meat product? Or do you think this is something that kind of takes them out? Because I've been struggling with this myself, trying to figure out whether I would eat a cultivated meat product. You know, there's no animal 
being harmed, right? But do you think it's something that a vegan vegetarian would be open to? I mean, I really hope everybody gets on board because it takes animals out of the supply chain. So um, that's, I think, for ethical vegans and vegetarians, I think that's where their mind is when we plop that word ethical in there. I think they're thinking about animals and the suffering. And so if the animals aren't suffering, for me, it seems to answer the question. Now, for me, who's an ethical vegan, I still probably won't eat it because I never liked the taste to begin with. Um, so for me, it's like, I just, you know, I love the food I have. I, I'm not wanting or looking for anything. But for those meat folks, it's funny because people are always thinking like, oh, these vegans are coming along. They're taking my food. Oh, my word. We are not making this stuff for us. We're making this stuff for the meat eaters. So they get that option to move their health in a better direction and do good by the planet with their dollars in an easy way. You know, you got to think it's not, you know, you're at the Food Institute. I'm with Eat V. We are the inside bubble of the inside bubble. I mean, you got to think of a single mother of three running down the grocery store aisle. She's not thinking about any of this. She has to pick something that her kids are going to eat that's, you know, really inexpensive and let's move on. And we're just trying to make it easy for people to do that in a, in a mindful way. Yeah, I really think that's a, a good way to look at it, right? Making it easier to make a, a healthier or better option choice for the planet. And I think that's a great way to kind of go through it. Uh, I know we're running up on the time limit here, so I did want to give you an opportunity. I know you have a big day today. So can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing today and give our you know audience a little bit of uh, information about where they can learn some more about you? Yes, absolutely. So we are throwing a party at the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, we're going to be just under 100 people. We're going to, it's about a three-hour party from three to six. We're going to tour the exchange, get some history. It's such an iconic building. Get some history behind that building and its um, charter of how it functions, then go to the trading floor and really have um, some some great times there. We don't have the bell per se, although I keep saying like bump out those other people, put in the happy vegans because they're going to be happy no matter what's going on in the market. We like bring the joy, but yeah, they're not they're not buying that argument. So we don't actually have the bell tonight. Um, and you know we did launch six months ago, so this isn't a launch party. This is just a celebration. We're all in New York. We happen to be here, so we thought we'd throw a party after the exchange floor. We go upstairs for vegan food and drinks. I'll do a quick overview of the fund, but it's basically just the joy of all being together, the New York Stock Exchange. I mean, who doesn't get tingly about that, that idea? So we're really excited for tonight. And for anybody who wants to come find me, who wants to learn more about the fund, you can always find me on LinkedIn. So if you personally have a question for me, just come find me. It, Elizabeth, it's spelled a little funky, E-L-Y-S-A-B-E-T-H, Alfano. Um, so come find me. But if you just want straight info on the fund, you can go to eatv.vegtechinvest.com. Perfect. And we'll definitely share a link in the description of this episode so people can find it. Elizabeth, congratulations on launching the fund. Uh, really hoping you have a great time today and really wishing you future success because I do think it's a pretty important kind of investment vehicle. And like you said, trying to make it easy for consumers to make these kinds of choices. I think it's an admirable goal. So good luck to you. Well, thank you. I super appreciate it. I'll say it's a joy and an honor to launch this product, Eat V, but also just get the whole sector on the radar for Wall Street. They had never realized we were really out there. They never took it seriously beyond like the Beyond Meat one-stop like exception to the rule. And now they're seeing there's a whole sector out there to invest in. So exciting times. Thanks for having me. And that's going to do it for us this week on the Food Institute Podcast. I want to thank Elizabeth for her time today. And make sure you take a look at the description of this episode to see a link directly to the Plant-Based Insider Newsletter sign-up sheet.
We'll catch you next time. This is Chris Campbell, signing off.